This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by Apostates Anonymous, the show you turn to when you're no longer an evangelical, or even a Christian. Join hosts Matthew J. DiStefano and Keith Giles as they tip over just about every sacred cow known to man. You're sure to have a good time if you're a heathen or heretic or apostate or reprobate. If you're an evangelical, maybe you won't have such a good time. But either way, we want you to listen. You can check out Apostates Anonymous wherever you get your podcast fix. Now, on to the show. The mind that was in Jesus, that mind is in me. Without me, life has no meaning. Why would God tell you what I'm thinking and tell you what I've said to my wife or my husband when you're not around? It's because I'm the pastor of the church and I need to know. This is the only place where you can see truth. Hey, heathens, you're listening to the Deadly Faith Podcast, where religion and crime collide. I'm Lacey. And I'm Lola. And this shit is old. Sue. Welcome back, guys. We are so excited to be here. We have a much, like, lighthearted, maybe it's not lighthearted, it's still murder, but a more lighthearted case. I was going to say the title of this has murder in it. (laughs) Yeah, it's still murder. It's a light-handed murder. It's it, it's not light-handed, and it is kind kind of graphic. It's just not as like icky as last week because last week it's oh, not shit. Albert Fish. It's, it's not, not Albert. fishy. Yeah, yeah, no. I'll and it's it. and when I said it was old, we're going back a hundred years. This murder happened in 1922, so we're jumping back a whole uh, century. I was going to say decade. I was like, nope, that's wrong. <laughs> century. We're jumping oh back a century. God. Yes, but before we get into the case. Lola, do you have something you want to share? So this will be obviously released well past the time of my newly announced engagement. But yes, I am engaged as of June. My partner, he uh, proposed to me at a Renaissance fair at the Taylor Swift Love Story Castle. Super yes. cute. Which you're like a Swifty. We talked about this last week. You're a major <gasps> yes. Swifty. So it that comes was... full circle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it comes full circle. Oh, yes. my so, gosh. In front of the castle, he got down on one knee. And then, yeah, he was like, will you marry me? And I was like, fuck yeah. yeah. No, I wasn't that cool. <laughs> my elf ear fell off because I was so excited like, I was in shock, and I was like, what is happening? And then oh my, gosh. my friends started taking photos, and I was like, I'm not ready for this, but this is so good. And is this real life? Ah! And this is in front of everybody, right? And you said everybody, you told me everyone was cheering. There was like a line of people like up the castle steps waiting to look inside the castle, and there was... It was a long line. There was at least 100 people right there. And apparently, I didn't hear this because I think I was, like, in shock. Yeah. But they all were, like, hooping and hollering and, like, oh. So, it was, (laughs) apparently, people saw. I thought we were so far off the path that they wouldn't notice. But apparently, my reaction of, like, what? Is this real life? What's happening? (laughs) Who is she? I don't know. I was sitting at my brother-in-law's birthday party and all of a sudden I just get a text that said, Lacey! (laughs) It was just a big text and then all of a sudden pictures came through and I was like, oh my gosh! I was showing it to my husband and he was like, whoever she's marrying definitely knows her because if Lola's okay, we'll share on our Instagram her ring because it is gorgeous. And my husband (laughs) looked at that ring and he's like, he knows her and he knows to get this kind of ring. Like he knows her. 
Yeah, it's so pretty. Oh, oh so yeah. Excited. Yeah, he did very good. We will post that. Yeah, we can post that ring and um, let you guys see that. I can put a, a picture of us in front of the castle too so they can see the, the castle. It was so cute. I think it was my daughter was like, What's wrong with her ear? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> Definitely elf ears. <laughs> I was like, those are elf ears. She's like, how did she get elf ears? So I had to explain like costume. Surgically. You know, stuff. And it was really funny. Oh my uh, God. Can I tell you something about elf ears though? Because yes, when I was in high school, I found out that I was super into like body modifications, like tattoos and everything. I was very intrigued. And I got into the part of body mods where like you've, physically alter different parts of your body, like vampire fangs and elf ears. And I wanted elf ear surgery. No, (laughs) I've never heard of elf ears. Like I've heard of the fangs. I'm going to send you a picture of it. Or the cutting of the tongue, like to make it like a snake tongue or like people would put horns. Oh, those freak me out. Yeah, that. that. Yes, like the dermal uh, implants or something. Yeah. I think Lady Gaga had those for a while. Did she? I think so. They made her cheekbones like super squared. She wore oh. them for a music video. It could have just been prosthetics, but I would hope not it would sure. just be prosthetics. Oh, yeah. Y'all have to send me that because, oh my gosh. They're so cute, honestly. Uh, okay, my week. Yes, tell me about your week. There was literally nothing crazy with my week that I can oh. think of at the moment. No neighbor but, stories. No, no neighbor stories. Uh, you made chocolate chip cookies, though. I did right? make chocolate chip cookies today. My husband's birthday was yesterday. Whoop, whoop, shout out to my husband. So he's not a cake person or a cupcake person. And so he requested my uh, chocolate chip res- chocolate chip cookie recipe, which it's not mine. It's from somebody else, which I'm going to shout it out. And I'll link it below because they are literally the best chocolate chip cookies I have ever made and I've ever tasted. They're absolutely my favorite. It is from a website called Sugar Spun Run. It's a food blog. She's one of my favorites. I've followed her for years. And she has a bunch of desserts and even like really good, like just normal food recipes. Um, I love her chili recipe as well and her biscuits recipe. So freaking good. I love the name of that blog. Sugar Spun what? Sugar Spun Run is the name of the blog. Sugar Spun Run. It's so good. And if you, I'll link it below, but just so you know, it's titled The Worst Chocolate Chip Cookies. And the reason they're the worst is you have to chill the recipe in the fridge for like 30 minutes before you can start baking them. And so just having to wait is the worst. So that's how she came up with the name. But I made those today and I'm going to stuff my face with three of them after we get done recording here because they smelled amazing. That's a good way to end your night. I know. And it's keeping me motivated to keep going. Mail me seven. Seven? Yes. You have a, That's a very specific number. Seven's a good number. Seven, seven, seven. Oh, is that Taylor Swift's number? No, that's 13. Oh, 13. Hers, oh, hers is 13, see. which I did put on my hand at the concert. <laughs> see, I am not a Swifty. I don't know any of this mm, shit. That's okay. I can pick up the slack for, for you. There you go. <laughs> you, you, you pick it up for me. Okay. Okay. Are you guys ready to jump into this case? Tell me about Halls Mills. The Halls Mills murder. That's their last names, okay? So on September 16th of 1922, a man named Raymond Snyder and his girlfriend, Pearl Bomber, were, they were going on a stroll down Lover's Lane in Somerset, New Jersey. So this was kind of by what they call Jeresse's Lane. And this is where everybody went to, you know, kiss and make out and all the things. 
Make out mountain. Yeet. Okay, so Raymond Snyder and his girlfriend, Pearl Bomber, were looking for a place to make out. And it, they come across two people laying down near a crabapple tree. Now, at first, they thought the people were just like laying down asleep. But then they went up to the bodies and realized very quickly that they were dead. So they ran away because they were terrified. And they ran to a nearby house. And at this house, they called the cops. And then two cops arrived at the scene. The couple were laying face down on the ground side by side with their feet towards the crabapple tree. And the man's arm was underneath the woman's head and her left hand was on his thigh. So they were somewhat like cuddling and like touching each other, but it was like really weird because they were clearly murdered. So they were like, that's a weird way to just kind of like fall and die. Were they positioned? That, that yes. Way? I'll just come out and say it. Yes, they, it does come out later that they were Ew. murdered. They were murdered there. But they were repositioned after they were murdered. Big gross. Weirdly, the man had a hat covering his face. It says they were laying face down, but they also, he had a hat over his face. So I don't know if she was face down and he was face up and then the hat was covering his face or if it was just like on Mm. the back of his head. I'm not 100% sure. But also, he had a, a business card that was propped up against his foot. So it wasn't like just laying on the ground. It was literally propped up against his foot, which are like, that's weird. The woman was wearing a blue dress with red polka dots and her hat laid on the ground near her body. Both had been shot at very close range and the woman's throat had been cut. So around, uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty brutal, especially from 1922. Like You said this was lighthearted or not, <laughs> whatever. Well, there's no crimes against children, so... That's good. Okay, I'll take it. I'll take it. Both, of course, had been shot by close range. Around their bodies were also scraps of paper. So it looked like all of these papers had been like torn up and then just kind of thrown about around their bodies. So this was very, very weird for police at the time. Okay, so because of the business card, the two were quickly identified because the business card was of a man named Reverend Edward Hall. And it was actually the man there laying there dead. Okay, he was the minister of the local Episcopal church. And then the woman was Miss Eleanor Mills. She was 34-year-old parishioner who had sang in the choir at the same church. So, mm mm-hmm. Love affair. Yeah, yeah, that's where we're going. I love it. I love it. Reverend Hall, so he's the pastor, if you want to use that word, of the church, Mm -hmm. and she was in the choir. So both had been missing since the evening of the 14th, so two days prior to this. So that day, they performed an autopsy on the body, and Reverend Hall had been shot one time in the right side of his head that killed him instantly. He also had a bruise on his ear. He had injuries to his fingers on both hands and an injury below his right knee. Eleanor was shot three times, so she didn't get just a one shot and done. She had three shots one in the right temple, one in the right side of the head, and one beneath her right eye. Also, her uh, neck was cut deeply, severing every vessel and artery within. So it was a very violent cut against her neck, okay? Throwing up noises. Yeah, remember the stark differences between the two deaths. Like, they were both murdered, but like, he was just shot once. She was like, eviscerated, basically. Three times, throat. Yeah. Yeah. 
She also had a bruised arm and a cut lip. So there were those. Maggots had appeared on the body and in some of the wounds. So that helped them estimate that they had died around 10 p.m. the night that they went missing on the 14th. So that gave them a pretty solid time of death, uh, which I didn't realize that in 1922, they could get a pretty good time of death at that point. I I don't know my history on that, but a hundred years ago. I feel like forensics and criminology and all that moved really quickly. Yeah. Like... Healthcare kind of lagged yeah. for our country and <laughs> yeah. all these infrastructure and like business, it really lagged a little bit. But I tell you, criminology, the, the justice system and all that, it kind of like went on. It moved a little bit quicker. Now I kind of want to look into the history of like all of that and just see what it was. But maybe I'm wrong, but it just feels like it, it moved a lot faster with developments and technology and everything. But, yeah, from an outsider looking at watch while well, I like, do research and be like, mm, bitch, you were wrong. Polar opposite. <laughs> right. Uh, so that was interesting to me. But this, okay, this is so wild. And it shows you like just the times, okay? 1922. News of this murder spread very quickly. And this isn't something that happens every day. Murder wasn't even something that happened all that often. And so it started to go around town very quickly. And all of a sudden... People start showing up. You had sightseers to this murder. And mind you, they're still like processing the scene. And so people are literally just walking up on a crime scene. Wait, were the bodies moved? No, the bodies were still there. <gasps> and were they covered up? I-, I have no idea. Oh my God, I bet they weren't. It was the 20s. It was the 20s. Yeah. So probably Shit. not. So these sightseers would come up and they would come up in droves. And they would want a souvenir. So they would take branches and break them off of the crab apple tree and take them <gasps> with them home. What? Yes. They took, there were so many people that came as sightseers that they had taken so much of this crab apple tree that it was eventually cut down. Literally the entire tree was cut down. What is the psychology behind wanting a souvenir and not being a murderer? (laughs) Well, you have to think, okay, back in the days when people were hanged for their crimes. Oh my God. They had no entertainment too. I just thought they didn't. They didn't. (laughs) Did they have TVs in 1922? I don't think they had TVs then. Uh, I don't know. Google that. We Google something every episode. Today we're Googling when were TVs invented? (laughs) Yeah, it was 1895 that the first like moving pictures were projected. So film had been a thing for a minute, but it wasn't common to have a TV. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Even like in the 50s and stuff, it it wasn't super common to have a TV. And if you did, it was like as big as, it was a little, the screen was a little bit bigger than my phone. (laughs) Probably. And it was black and white. And nobody, so nobody has entertainment. And this stuff doesn't happen all the time. So everyone's like, oh my gosh. And we, okay, we also say like, what is the psychology as we sit here and talk about true crime on a podcast for everyone else to listen to? So it's like somewhat adjacent. No, we're not going to get souvenirs. But it's one of those like, you see a train wreck and you can't help but look. Like, I think that's part of it. But I don't... This is our souvenir. (laughs) I guess so. I bet it was that whole like FOMO because like one person did it and Uh. then everyone was like, that bitch is taking a tree branch. I'll take one too. And so I bet there was a lot of like, what is it called? Like when 
everybody's doing it like in a crowd. And so you kind of get peer pressured into like just going with the crowd so you don't feel left out. I wonder if that has played a part in that. Okay, we can move on from the size here. So, yes. Okay, so the detective in charge of this case was George Totten. Okay, now while he was investigating this and investigating the bodies, he found out that Mr. Hall's watch was missing, but his wallet was close by. And he had loose change in his pocket that was left untouched. Now, yes, loose change doesn't sound like a lot, but loose change in 1922 could probably buy you a house and 17 acres. So he was not robbed. <laughs> so that kind of takes out that We're going to do another conversion check like we did the I know, last right? two episodes. All it said was change, but like you could buy a soda for a penny. So change... That gets you a lot back then, yeah. So he wasn't robbed, uh, and both of them were clothed, and so there was no like signs of it being like a sexual assault kind of you know crime, and there was no uh, weapon found at the scene. Now it was determined when they did the autopsies uh, that they were killed with a thirty-two caliber gun of some sorts. So, and the torn up uh, papers, they had pieced back together and they found out that they were Eleanor uh, who had wrote love letters to Reverend Hall. So they were love letters from Eleanor to the Reverend. So now the detective's like, okay, well, that's motive. Like they're clearly having an affair because both of them are married. Not just the Reverend and not just Eleanor. They are both currently married and they had both been married for some time. So... Reverend Hall was married to a very wealthy woman, seven years older than him. And Eleanor was married to a modest man named James Mills. He was the janitor of the local school. And he was a part-time, they called a sexton, which is nothing sexual. It's actually another word for a groundskeeper. Yes, I had to Google that because like, what the fuck is a sexton? And I knew it couldn't be creepy or like sexual because it was the sexton, uh, he was the sexton of the church. So I was like, okay, well, that's not sexual. <laughs> hey, so you never know with some of these cults. You know, but this was a normal church, not like a, yeah, a cult, okay. cult. So I was like, yeah. So he was the True. groundskeeper um, of Reverend Hall's church. So same church that all of these people go to. All same thing. They had been married since 1905 and they had two children, Charlotte and Daniel. Now, Reverend Hall, let's talk about him and his history. So he was born in New York in 1881 in Brooklyn. His family was of modest means, so he didn't like have a whole lot of money growing up. He became a singer in his church choir he went to Brooklyn Polytechnic Institute and graduated in 1898. He got a scholarship then to Hobart College. And during this time when he was in school, he was a little bit more carefree. After that, um, he was assigned assistant pastor at St. Mark's Episcopal Church in Baskin Ridge in 1907. In two years, in 1909, he was assigned as rector of St. John, the evangelist in New Brunswick, where he moved into lodging near the church. Now, during his work, working in these uh, churches, his job was to help grow the congregation. But he also had another motive, and that was to find him a lady. But he was kind of a player. Um, and so he was very friendly with all the ladies, and he was very popular with the women. But Mr. Hall, Mr. Reverend Hall, he had an ambition and not just anyone would do, any woman. Like he just, he didn't, he couldn't settle because he wanted a He's woman. He's a picky player, okay. That, yeah, he wanted a woman that could, you know, 
maybe bring something to the table, like, I don't know, a chunk of money to help pay for things. Because he also grew up uh, very poor. So he needed, he needed, he wanted a, what is a sugar mama? <laughs> He had he he had some ambitions. A milf sugar mama, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so in 1911, he ended up wooing and marrying a woman named Frances Noel Stevens. She was the wealthiest woman in town. So he he knew what he was doing. He's like, I I need I need to get me her so she can bankroll my life, and she did. So she had been born, Miss Frances had been born in South Carolina in 1874. She had two older brothers, Henry, born in 1870, and William, which everyone called Willie, and he was born in 1972. Willie had mental difficulties and hung out with what they would call the wrong crowd. Hmm. Um, It's speculated that he had Asperger's, which today he would have just been like labeled as being on the autism spectrum because Asperger's is not recognized anymore. That's a whole other thing because, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> yeah. So because Willie had um, mental uh, difficulties, his wealth was put into a trust for him due to this. Now, after the two were married, Edward and his mom moved into 23 Nickel Avenue with Francis. So Francis owned this really big home. Why is that so telling about wealth? 23 Nickel? Yeah. 23 just Nickel like... or Nicole? I wrote it. Nicole or Nicole. Oh. I think it's probably Nicole. I wrote I it down wrong. I want it to be Nicole. I want it to be <laughs> Nicole pretend. so badly. Let's pretend. But it was okay. a very beautiful home, like very Victorian style or in 1922. So very Victorian style home. Um, and so she had the money. She had the house. So him and his mom moved in, which that very much shows you a sign of the times. So this was her grand home where she lived. So grand, like grand Victorian type home. And she also lived there with uh, her brother, Willie. So she was kind of like his caretaker. And then she also had two servants and a chauffeur. That's a lot of people for the house. They all live there with them? Yes. So she had, what was it? Okay, Edward, Edward's mom, Willie and her, two servants and chauffeur seven people in this home. Good Lord. Which it was a grand Victorian home, so I'm sure it okay. fit all seven pretty nicely. Yeah. Okay, in 1919, this was around the time that the Reverend started his affair with Eleanor. Now, I'm pretty sure that uh, Reverend Hall and Francis didn't have kids. I never heard and it, it being brought up or anything in all the research I did, so I think they were childless. Um, with her being a lot older... I'm not sure if she was like infertile or like how old they were. I don't know. Maybe she wasn't. She's just a MILF. She's just a MILF with money. Don't need no kids. Sugar mommy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What is that thing? Double income, no kids, that dinko. (laughs) That dinko. Oh my gosh. Did I say dinko? I I said dinko. I don't know where that O came from, but double (laughs) income, no kids. Oh, okay. Yeah. Moving on. (laughs) Moving on. Okay. So Eleanor, um, she had grown bored of her marriage to James. So James was 10 years older than Eleanor. And so he was very much just enjoyed the simple life. Go to work, come home, eat food with his wife, play with his kids, do his thing. Like just simple life, which like, I hear you, James. I'm right there with you. That's I me. love the simple life. Yeah. That's that's Rumble too. He agrees. We're all chiming in. We agree. Right there with you, James. So. Eleanor, though, 
she was not a big fan of The Simple Life. Now she is 10 years younger than him. So I think she kind of didn't maybe get to like experience her 20s or whatever. And so she would get lost in romance novels. So this makes me think that she didn't really have a lot of like suitors. She liked that smut. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh my God. I she, agree. I love smut. Yeah. Mm. I actually have never read it, but I <gasps> have actually... Get on the bandwagon. See, I need some I need some recommendations because I am an Audible member and I listen to a bunch of like true crime, like documentary type books and ex-evangelical deconstruction books. Okay. But I, I was like, I need to get into another category. I need some like Take my mind off all this. Let me put you on a court of rose, a court of thorns and roses. I think that's Mm -hmm. it. Yeah, a court of thorns and roses. Oh my goodness. It's adult fantasy. It's my recommendation of the day. Okay, perfect. We'll link it below. So it's got a great plot, but it's got steamy stuff. Mm. Mm. I love it. Mm. Okay. That's my favorite kind of porn. It's just smut. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I need, I was like literally like, I should listen to this. Or yeah, I should find a book. But I'm like, I don't know where to start. I just need recommendations. So that's Start there. That series is amazing. And they have spinoff series too that are like different stories that thread off. I think you'll really like it. It's good. It's not cheesy. Yeah. Well, I'm sure what Eleanor was getting lost in was nothing near as uh, raunchy probably as no. some of this stuff is. No. Not as steamy. It was <laughs> like not as steamy. he, he yeah. grazed her hand with his with his yeah. index finger. <laughs> <laughs> right? So she would get lost in those and she was definitely like living in her own little fantasy world of, of having different relationships. And soon that wasn't enough and she was young, she was beautiful and she decided to use her church as her own personal dating grounds. And so she went from man to man to man within the church having affairs. And she had had multiple affairs before her and the reverend started having their affair. Now, one of the... Did her husband know about these? Or was it said? Rumor has it no. But to me... How do you hide that with that many? I just don't know how you don't have like an inkling of like something is going on. Especially hmm. when you know she's like late at night, like, okay, I'll be right back. Unless she did it all while he was at work. But they also had two kids. So like, where are the kids at? I don't know. It's apparently no, he didn't know. Logistically, give us the details, girl. I know. I have questions. I have questions. So it's apparently no, but mm, I doubt it. And and here's why. And like, we'll get into why that will, like, I have stuff that will support my theory on why I think he actually had some kind of inkling. So she had one affair that actually lasted two whole years. And it wasn't until 1919 that her and the reverend started their affair together. Okay. Now this affair with the reverend went on for years. And with time, the two ended up getting bolder and bolder. And by 1922, everyone in the church knew about the affair. But it was like, hey, did you hear? And it was very much like, just not talked about in public, but everybody knew. It was like a weird game of telephone (laughs) where everybody knew about this. You know what? At any church that you go to, Uh you've got that. You've got it happening. You've got at least one story where you know that something's going on Mm -hmm. or you talk with somebody and they're like, oh yeah, we know there's something. But it's not talked about. 
Did you hear about Ethel and John? Ethel. <laughs> Ethel. I love that you just said Ethel. <laughs> That's the name. <laughs> no, the other day, Andrew said something. We were pretending to be Southern Bells because we're little uh-huh. kids and we do that in our home. Yeah. And yes. he was using my little fan and he was like, <laughs> I said, did you hear about Ethel and John, something like that. And he was like, uh-huh. oh, Ethel's as credible as a can of open baked beans. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where the fuck he got that from, but I was rolling. Uh, I would have laughed so hard. Oh, my gosh. So, All right. So this lady's been around, and they have caught word about that affair, specifically with Reverend, right? Yes. The church okay. knows about the affair between Reverend and uh, Eleanor, because they've gotten very bold with their shenanigans. They had even went to Atlantic City together and were even seen attending a Broadway show together. Scandalous. Yeah, like you're walking out in public having an affair. Like, why? Uh. And the rumor is that Reverend Hall, they would always go to like Duressi's Lane, so uh, Lover's Lane, to like have their little meetups. But they would get really bummed when there was like really bad weather because how are you going to get it on in the middle of a rainstorm? So the reverend ended up purchasing the Phillips farm that's right on Duressi's Lane. And they would go into the farm, little farmhouse. Are you kidding when there me? Bad weather. He yeah, he like bought... legit bought a, a house basically. For like his a affair. Small house for his affair. With his wife's money. Yes, that's what I was just about to say. Was his wife had most likely bankrolled this entire affair? Disgusting. I know, (laughs) right? So in August, Edward and Francis took a vacation, and they were together for like three weeks. Now, during this time, Edward and Eleanor had wrote back and forth to each other since they weren't able to like meet in person. Sexting. Snail Basically, mail. yes. Okay, so I'm going to read you some of the letters. Let me pull them up. Hold on. Oh, yes. Yes, I need to know. This is going to be some steamy, steamy. So this is from, not really that steamy. I, I way over sold that one. So this is a quote from a letter that Reverend Hall had wrote to Eleanor. He said, Dearest, will these days never pass? Each one seems weeks long, Oh, how I long to be with you again. And then Eleanor wrote to the reverend, I have the greatest of all blessings, a noble man, deep, true, and eternal love. My heart is his. My life is his. All I have is his. Poor as my body is, scrawny as they say my skin may be, but I am his forever. (laughs) Oh my God. Right? Why is that so sweet, though? If it wasn't an affair, I'd be like, ah, oh, sweet love. Sweet was <laughs> not where my mind went. My mind was like, poor as my body is, scrawny as they say my skin may be. I just thought that was weird. That's, I don't understand <laughs> that. Like, that one, I was like, I don't uh. know if the terminology or like the, uh, I don't know, the vocabulary is a bit off to me with that. Yeah. But like the whole, it sounded like, like a, weird like country song or something yes <laughs> yes and it might it's like of course it's 1922 so you know vocabulary is probably off a little but it's not yeah. like a girl what that thing do yeah. <laughs> can you imagine I'm to imagine if they wrote like that oh my 
gosh. Which is funny. Okay, I'm taking a sidebar. I was on my way to a store today and I saw somebody had like nailed a sign to a tree and it said, Jesus said, ye need to be born again. And I'm like, why did you say ye instead of like you? Like, why did you have to use old English? And then I was like, uh, then it started me on this total rabbit trail of like what Jesus would sound like if he talked in like modern terms. And I went so like slang with it in my head and it was I was cracking me up and I'm literally doing this all myself just driving be slang Jesus for me for a second yeah. I need to know I can't remember I hear what I said I was like it's the it's got to be the King James version or it tap out it's not as funny thee hast yeeted me this just <laughs> not oh that's all I know what I said I said yo bro get dunked because like get baptized <laughs> <laughs> that's what I said okay this is a missed opportunity. If you're going to get baptized, if your person baptizing you doesn't say that, walk mm-hmm. the fuck away. Or if you're not in the, if you're in the crowd, like I swear, if, you, if any of you in the, in the audience, like if you guys who are listening, you still go to church, at the next time you guys have baptisms, like I swear, somebody just yell in the church, yo, bro, get dunked. Like right as somebody walks out like yeah, that. Yeah, bro, come up. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. That was a rabbit trail we just took, but I love it. We can move on. Okay. So this separation, Reverend Hall went on vacation with his wife for three weeks. This separation from Eleanor made them both realize that they really wanted to be together and that they were not happy in their marriages. So they decided that they were going to leave their spouses and, you know, somehow get married or or, or run away. So they couldn't get divorced though. Because in New Jersey, divorce laws were not favorable. It's also 1922 towards those who were cheaters. And so with him being the one that cheated, he was he knew that he was going to get jack squat if he tried to get divorced. And he'd be a broke-ass bitch. And he was like, I can't have that. I have become too accustomed to you bankrolling my entire affair. So I'm not going to get divorced. By September of 1922, they had decided that enough was enough and that they were just going to run run away together and elope. Just basically ditch their lives and run off. Now, in early September, they had a church outing. Remember, they all go to the same church. Everybody goes to the same church. So everyone was in attendance. And at this outing, Francis, the reverend's wife, gave a toast and said, to our wives and sweethearts, May our sweethearts be our wives and our wives be our sweethearts. Then Eleanor said that she had a better toast and she gets up and says, may our sweethearts and our wives never meet. Okay, why are they trying to be petty though? (laughs) Right? Like, Also, she just completely outed herself, which I mean, everyone already knew. I guess... Maybe this was like spouses didn't know until this moment when it's like, I had suspicions, but you just confirmed for yeah. me that the sweetheart and the wife are not the same thing. Yeah. And they're, they're literally, they're all there. Yes. In person. And they heard this in front of the congregation. Mm-hmm. Wow. What a potluck that must have been. I know. Well, the potluck comes a handful of days later. The church goes out for a picnic all together. So it's like a big church outing. Now, at this picnic, the reverend tore his trousers climbing over a fence. And so Miss Easy Hall, access. Easy right? access. Sorry. <laughs> I had to take the opportunity. There you go. There you go. Well, Miss Hall, she was ready. And she pulls out her needle and thread and she mends his pants. 
Now, people that were there said that this was a way of her marking her territory. Basically a way of showing Eleanor, like, you don't know how to take care of my man. Like, I know how to take care of him. Look at me fixing (laughs) his trousers, right? Now, this is at this picnic, like church picnic thing. This was the last time that all three of them were seen together in public. That is, I think it was like the day before the murders was this church picnic. So the church picnic, they're all seen together. She fixes his pants. And then the very next day, they're they're missing. And the pants come off. I'm two sorry, days <laughs> Two days later, they're found murdered. So the case um had trouble from the beginning because, you know, the bodies were discovered on the uh, county line between Somerset and Middlesex, New Jersey, making it a jurisdictional nightmare. Even back in 1922, everyone's fighting with each other, like who's gonna take care of this case. Now They did determine that the couple had been killed where they were found, but for some reason, they were repositioned, like we talked about earlier. So Mm -hmm. they don't know why they were repositioned that way. But on the day of the murders, it was a very busy day for Reverend Hall. So we're going to kind of get into a timeline now. So uh, Reverend Hall had went about his duties as reverend and even visited some of the members of his church. And then Frances, his wife, actually intercepted two calls that day from Eleanor. So she's calling the house and Frances is intercepting these calls. Frances had entertained some visitors and then stayed home and played solitaire that evening between 9 and 11 p.m. alone before she then went to bed. Her maid, Louise Geist, had cooperated Frances's alibi at this time. So this made Francis not a suspect. Eleanor uh, had talked with her daughter, Charlotte Mills. I don't know how old she was, but I'm assuming she was a bit older because she was talking to her about divorcing her husband. Um, so I'm like, I really hope that wasn't a young child you were talking to about divorcing Surely not. Because that's... I say, surely not. Yeah, we say surely not, but I know some parents that have done that. And like, I hope that's not the case. But... <sighs> After dinner, she left the house without telling anyone where she was going. She's just up and left. At 8 p.m., she caught a streetcar to George Street where she walked from the park entrance to Duressi's Lane. There was a family that was out for an evening stroll and they spotted her. So she was seen then. The reverend left his home saying he was going to the church, but he was also last seen in Duressi's Lane around 9 p.m. Now, Mr. Mills and Mrs. Hall said they didn't know about the infidelity of their spouses. I call bullshit. So I'm like, mm, you knew. Y'all knew that she was getting dicked down by yeah. the Reverend. Y'all call- knew it. She, she literally intercepted two phone calls from Eleanor that day. What? <laughs> Come on. I want to know what those conversations looked like, too. Uh, right? I would. Mm. Well, they put Mr. Mills through some intense interrogation, but they left Miss Hall alone because she had an alibi. Mm-hmm. They didn't they didn't do any, you know, major interrogation with them. They went straight for the guy, which I understand most of the time it is the wife's husband. But like they didn't even interrogate Miss Hall. Come so, on, she's older you know. and wiser. She's got the money. She's got yeah. the means. Come on. Yeah. You know? Come on. She doesn't need some slanky reverend. Running around on her. I see you. Well, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Mills, yeah, Mr. Mills, he had a solid alibi. 
he was woodworking and a neighbor complained about the noise around 10.30 p.m. So he moved around to his gaslit porch. When his wife didn't return home, he went to the church at 11 p.m. to look for her. At 11.05, he stopped and bought a soda. He wasn't there. She wasn't at the church. So he left at 11, stopped at a gas station to buy a soda at 11.05, and then got to the church. She was not there. So he returned home and he left a light on on the porch for her. He was home by 11.20. At 2 a.m., he returned to the church to look for his wife again because she still had not come home. Nothing, not there. Again, just before 9 a.m., he went to the church to look for her again. And again, nothing. So he has gone out multiple times, but then this night, three times, looking for his wife and cannot find her. But when he gets to the church at 9 a.m., he runs into Miss Hall and told her that Eleanor had never come home the night before. And she told him that the reverend hadn't returned either. And he said, (laughs) what do you think it is? An elopement? So right there, his very first question was, is it an elopement? They <laughs> so, knew. So he knew, right? And Miss Hall responds with, no, it must be foul play. My husband has never stayed out all night. I'm going to notify the police. So her very first thought is foul play and his is an elopement. Okay, remember that. She then left the church. Now, Jim visited Francis multiple times, three times that day, just before noon. So he had gone out the night before three times. And then during the day, he went out three more times. So six times he has gone out looking for his wife in a matter of like less than 24 hours. Just before noon, he went to Miss Hall's house, 5 p.m. and 8 p.m. At the 8 p.m. visit, he said, I don't know what to make of it. I'm at sea on it. Miss Hall's reply was, they must be dead or they would come home. Oh. Uh, that would not be my first thought. Right? I think he just ran away because, like, yeah. I think he just ran off with her. Because mm-hmm. obviously they kind of knew about it, so. The entire church knew they were having an affair. So why would your first thought not be they eloped? They, they ran just off. ran off and... That's it. They're not coming back. They decided on each other and they decided that's forever. Yeah. Well, uh, Miss Hall said she left home the night before at 2.30 a.m. Now, Jim said he had went to the house or went to the church at, what, 2 o'clock? And so she went at 2.30. So they must have Mm -hmm. missed each other. So she said she left home at 2.30 a.m. and looked for her husband at the church and she was back home by 3 a.m. Raymond Schneider and Pearl Bomber, so the people who found the bodies, were the next suspects. So since both of the you know spouses alibied out, they were looking at the people who found the bodies. And Raymond had told the police that his friend Clifford Hayes had shot at Pearl Bomber's father because they thought he was uh, molesting her. Okay, so now we're going on a different track. Oh, but so they automatically were like, well, if he was shooting at her father, then maybe he did shoot these other two people. So Clifford was then arrested on suspicion of the other two murders. But under closer scrutiny, the story fell apart until Raymond finally admitted to lying. I'm not sure why he lied. Uh, the rumor around town at the time was that he was influenced to lie to protect somebody else that was higher up. So it was like somebody came to him and was like, hey, just like blame somebody else for the murders. 
to protect XYZ person. It's, it's, that was the rumor. That was the rumor. Not co- not cooperated, but that was the rumor. Okay. On October 23rd, Justice Parker gave the case to the prosecutor of Sussex County, and he was the first to finally hone in on Frances Hall herself. So Frances's brothers, Henry Stevens, he was a firearms expert, and Willie Stevens had a very quick temper, and he was known to own a 32 revolver. But after closer inspection of the revolver, they realized that it couldn't have been the gun that shot and killed the Reverend and Eleanor because the firing pin of the gun had been filed down so that it was not able to be shot because the family oh. was scared of him having the gun because he had mental disabilities oh. and with his quick temper. And so he had gotten the gun, but then they fired the Filed down the firing. Filed it down, yeah. Couldn't have been shot anyways. Right. We're ruling out people left and right now. (laughs) They they at least ruled out that gun, but they weren't going to rule out Willie himself or Henry or Mrs. Hall. So they had decided that they were not just suspects, but the prime suspects at this point. And it was all revealed somehow. I couldn't figure out exactly how that all of them had known that the Reverend and Eleanor had been having an affair. And so they're caught lying. Apparently, a friend had told the investigators that he had been threatened. The reverend had been threatened to end the affair by the brothers. And he was afraid of his wife. But he had planned on running away with Eleanor and just eloping. So this wasn't something that they had just like planned together. A lot of people knew that they had planned on eloping. A lot of people knew that he was threatened by her brothers to end the affair. And apparently, she was a very strong personality type woman and he was scared of her. <laughs> also, she bankrolled everything. This is a grand conspiracy yeah. to get rid of the other woman. Right, right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then, all of a sudden, we find out there's a witness. <gasps> what? A witness comes out of nowhere. So, this witness, her name is Jane Gibson. She lived near the scene of the crime and she lived with her 21-year-old son. Now, she was a pig farmer And she was around 50 years old, and she was known to be very eccentric. Now, investigators first refused seven of her calls while she had tried calling and letting them know, like, hey, I witnessed a murder. They ignored her seven times because apparently she's very eccentric, and they just didn't want to deal with her. She was kind of like the town... Crazy woman. Crazy lady. Yeah, basically. So they ignored her (laughs) for a while. So her story goes that between 9 and 10 that night, her dog started barking and she thought that somebody was on her land stealing her crops. And so she got on her mm. mule, whose name is Jenny. I love that she named Ugh, her mule Jenny the a mule. human name. I got to draw that. Love that. I love it when people name their animals human names. Like I just love it. I don't know why. I think it's I love it awesome. when you name them an inanimate, inanimate object. Inanimate object, like, yes. Like a... A cat named Laptop or Black and Decker or no, Toast. No, I have a friend whose dog is named Crouton. Stop. Yeah, their kids named him because they were eating salad when they got him and they had Perfect. croutons and so they named him Crouton. And like at first I was like, that's weird. But then like when I started to get to know the dog, I was like, that's the perfect name for him. And I don't know why. It requires no it, explanation. Like, it like it's so good. I know, I love it. The next, the next <laughs> animal I get, I'm going to name it Pothole or something. <laughs> Bunghole. Oh no, my gosh, Just I love that. Something real off the wall. 
I want to get the tiniest male dog you can get. Like, I don't know what breed, but just like the tiniest male dog. And I want to name it Tank because I think that would just be the tiny biggest tank. oxymoron. Yeah, Tarnit Tank. Okay, we're going off on another tangent. Tarnit Tank. <laughs> anyway, Jenny, she gets on Jenny, her mule, and she goes out. Who's stealing my crops, right? So she saw something in the distance and she gets a little closer. And then all of a sudden she realized she sees four people. She sees like figures, basically like shadows. And they're arguing and they begin shouting at each other. And then she hears a gunshot. All of a sudden, when she hears this gunshot, she hear, she sees one of the figures fall over. And then she hears a woman yell, don't, don't. And then she hears uh, more shots and the second person falls over. She ends up describing what she sees because she sees a little bit of like details within the figures there. And she described seeing a man with bushy hair and an African with African American features. And if you see a picture of Willie, he does look as if he does have some like African American features on him. Mm -hmm. And so she was very much describing Willie. At that time, she turns her meal around and she rushes home because she's terrified. Don't blame you. <sighs> so she returns about an hour later back to the crime scene to see like she's expecting everyone to have left. So then she wants to come back and see what the hell happened. But at that time when she returned, she saw a woman kneeling by the bodies and she identified the woman that she saw as Frances Hall. Knew it. Called it. Right? She slit her throat. Mm -hmm. So sign still delivered. Case closed, right? Unfortunately, no. Because what? since Jane is a little eccentric, she's not seen as a very reliable witness. Oh so my God. I'm assuming that it's very much like somebody who has a drug charge on their name from high school and then the prosecution or the defense, like whoever they're, you know, with, like whoever they're going against would just use that as to say, oh, they're not a reliable witness as if that's, you know. One time she burned trash in her backyard. Right. She's fucking crazy. She's fucking crazy. Yeah. But I will give them, she is kind of like an attention whore. And so she was really liking all the attention she was getting from being a witness. And I so murder. <laughs> she kept adding details and exaggerating okay. her story. Every time she said it, like every time she told the story, a little bit would change. And it was like the premise was still there. Like the whole story baseline mm -hmm. was there, but then she'd like add little details here and there and exaggerate. She'd zhuzh it up. She'd zhuzh so it up. Every, every time yeah. she'd zhuzh it up. Mm. And so the prosecutor, he believed her. He thought that the core of the story was true. It fit the facts of the case and it explained everything that they had found. It, it literally, it put all the pieces of the puzzle together and he thought that she was just, you know, her eccentric self attention whore and she was just caught up in all of it and so she would embellish her story every time for more and more attention but lovely the defense of course is going to use that against the prosecution now uh. on november 20th 1922 they put all of this information in front of a grand jury the prosecutors alleged that the brothers killed the reverend and eleanor but that francis was also there and present at the time of the murders there were other witnesses that corroborated that they had heard shots around 10 p.m., but the grand jury refused to indict Miss Hall and her brothers. They had alibis and Jane, more commonly known as the pig woman, with her embellishing, changing story. They literally called her the pig woman. Not kidding. It was even in newspapers. It's like the cat lady, 
but redone. Yes, exactly. Mm. Exactly. Since she was embellishing and changing her story, it wasn't enough for them to pursue charges. So Mm. they have alibis. Pig woman's crazy. Nope, not going to prosecute. So that was that. That was the end of it, or so we thought. Okay. Oh. Jim, her husband, he was convinced I that thought was, you were going to say Jen the donkey. Jen, <laughs> Jenny the broke this. Jenny broke the <laughs> case wide open. That damn donkey. What was it? In the Bible, a donkey talks. Was it a donkey? Yeah. Mule, mules, donkeys, aren't they the same thing? Didn't it say something like, quit beating me, a dildo? Or... <laughs> <laughs> Don't quit beating on me, you dill. Isn't that what it said? Yeah, I think he was you telling him, like, stop hitting me, you dillweed. You douchebag, stop hitting so. me. Um, like okay, that. so Eleanor's, Eleanor's husband, Jim, um, he was convinced that it was Francis. And he said, I suppose they will never do anything now, but there is a higher judge. Everybody in town knows the hall's money quashed it. Oh. Apparently, everyone in town was like, you killed him, but you're getting away with it because you got money. Okay, so very few people argued with him about this and many believed that this was definitely a cover-up. Now, I also want to say, you know, I pointed this out earlier, that he went to the church three times the night Mm -hmm. before and then he went to Francis's house three times the next day. So he looked for his wife for six freaking different times within 24 hours. Francis only went to the church one time, apparently. I was going to ask, did she, you didn't mention her running around. No, she you just mentioned not. him. So, because she already knew what happened. She, she did. did it. She did. That's, she said, me and my brother, we just handled it. And then we were like, shh, 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 yeah. shh, don't, don't, don't shh, it's art crawl. You don't know okay. anything. Shh, shh. Well, life went on because they weren't to be prosecuted until one day, many years later, on July 5th of 1926, a piano tuner by the name of Arthur filed for divorce from Louise Geist. Louise Geist was the, was the old maid of Francis Hall. <gasps> now, when you file for a divorce, I don't know if it's still like this today, but you have to write down like, what is your reasoning for filing for a divorce? He had- You do. It is to say, okay. So he had this to say. <laughs> he said his wife had received $5,000 for her silence and giving Francis an alibi. She also told him that Reverend Hall uh, had told her he was going to elope with Eleanor, but she took that information to Francis. So he confided in his maid, and then she ran to Francis and was like, your husband's going to elope with Eleanor. And so then Francis had her driver take her and her brothers to DeRussey Slane to confront the couple. Uh... (laughs) Right? Right. He doesn't go to the cops. For this, he goes, he literally just writes this in his divorce paper. So like the court Great. people get it and they're like, what the fuck? So like, sorry, ah! repeat yourself. <laughs> so $5,000 in 1922 is, has the same equivalent purchasing power of $90,286.61 today. Nice. So she almost got $100,000 for your silence. To, her, for, to, to hush it up. And give her an alibi. Yeah, give her an alibi. Shut your mouth. You didn't see anything. So now that this information came forward, they decided to reopen the case and they assigned a man named Alexander Simpson 
to do the investigation. So they reopened the case on July 28th of 1926. So just like three-ish weeks past finding all of this out. Now, her brothers um, and Francis and their cousin Henry Carpenter were arrested for the murders after they started this investigation. Now, Henry, their cousin, his role is unclear, but it is thought that he may have been the one to like pay off certain people during the like first investigation. But also Jane uh, also says that she saw him at Duressi's Lane. But also I'm like, you said you saw four people. So yeah, it's that's kind of confusing. Because even if it was the two brothers and her, then you have Francis, or then you have Eleanor and Reverend Hall. That's five. And then you're not putting Henry, so six. So yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know who she saw there or if that was another one of her embellishments, but. Well, two, could they have shown up a little bit? Uh, could they have later? I, like two people had left because. Yeah, I don't know. Pig woman saying she saw the actual shots fired. Yeah, saw and, and she heard. saw the people fall. So mm-hmm. either they came after or they came before. Or she just, or they were standing behind somebody and so she didn't see him because it's 10 o'clock at Maybe. night. Maybe. It was, yeah, it was also dark and like street lights were a thing. Yeah. You know? So infrastructure is still happening. Yeah. And all that good stuff. But also she's but yeah. saying she saw, she was like, I saw Henry Carpenter there. Like, but you said you only saw somebody with African-American features and that would have been Willie, not Henry. And then a woman who was Francis. So with her story, you can put the pieces together, but then there's questions with all her little embellishments or like add-ons. So it's it just gets confusing. I think too, it's confusing from witness accounts. Like even if you're a straight up truthful witness mm-hmm. in questioning Things can get lost in translation and I don't know, it can just, it can be confusing and you forget things too. Well, and I don't know how many cases I have heard where like they find corroborating evidence to prosecute somebody, but then you have an eyewitness that says, oh, X, Y, and Z. But then other, another eyewitness says JFK, you know, whatever. They have two differing, but it's like, how do you, how do you explain one eyewitnesses seeing something, but the evidence is saying something else. And the science has proved that like our brain fills in those spots that like don't make sense to us. And so we think we see something. We try to make logic of the things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we'll just put stuff in place when it actually wasn't there. So especially if you're scared too, because you want to make sense of it quickly because you're like, Mm -hmm. the unknown freaks us out. So we have to have an answer to fill in the blank. So you know, her turning around suddenly and be like, we got to go, Jenny. Right. <laughs> Not to say, she, I mean, I know she wasn't truthful you with her little like Jenny. Let's go. Jenny. <laughs> you sound like Forrest Jenny. Gump. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm just thinking like in that moment, if you saw someone shooting people and them falling, yeah, I think I would be like, oh, what did I just see? And I, on the way back to the house, I'd be like, Oh, fuck, 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 you know? So my brain would fill in the blanks. Yeah, to me, it's kind of like the uh, lie detector test. They kind of play the same weight, uh, depending. It's if, like there's some truth, but you can't hold it as all truth. Yeah, you can kind of like, okay, you can take that, but then you need other evidence in order to like actually have a rock solid case. Yeah. So finally, the grand jury did indict them. So they are now all being charged with 
the murders of Eleanor and Reverend Hall. So the driver, uh, Luis, had told them that the driver had taken the brothers and Miss Hall to confront the couple. Now, the driver, he denies the allegations. He's like, no, they didn't happen. And then Luis comes and claims that her ex-husband had threatened to turn her in and make this whole story up if she didn't return to him. So now you have those going against what the prosecution is saying. In 1928, Eleanor's autopsy results, they couldn't be found. So then they exhume her body and they did another autopsy. Now, this is getting a little graphic. Okay, so forewarning. Yummy, great. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. During this autopsy is when they find out that her tongue and her larynx had been cut out. She said, don't talk to my man. Who the the fuck did the first autopsy and how did you like miss that she didn't have a tongue? Oh my God, I forgot this was a second autopsy. (laughs) Second autopsy. Who the fuck misses that she didn't have a tongue? They literally shot her three times, slit her throat, cut her tongue out, and then cut her larynx out. What? To me, that screams personal. Screams personal. Screams without the voice box. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Taking away their power to speak, Mm -hmm. taking away their truth. I just, that was a Taking away the French kissing ability. Sorry. (laughs) She's, she's... To me, that screams. It's because it she called her on the phone. She she cut out her voice box because she talked to her on the phone. She was like, she talked to her twice that day. Yeah. So like, I can imagine how heated she was. Like, bitches sleep with my husband. Like, Francis got the last word. Literally, yeah, literally, literally. Okay. So Henry Carpenter, the cousin, he filed to have his case heard separately from everybody else, and that was granted. And for some reason, I couldn't find out, he actually never faced trial. Not really sure if the court just decided, okay, it wasn't worth trying. In Somerset County, the courthouse in Somerset, New Jersey, on November 3rd of 1926, the trial started. The defense went after Jane, of course, calling her the pig woman. They put it all over the newspapers. Everyone was making fun of her. They were just making her look uneducated and unreliable. She was very sick at this time and was dying, literally dying. They had to wheel her into the courtroom on her hospital bed. She was so sick just so she could testify. They had to roll her in on her hospital bed. The defense hired Jane's estranged mother to testify against her and her own mother in the trial called her a liar. Man. Called her out right there in court. Like, what? But they said nothing about them being estranged. So now everyone's like, well, your own mom thinks you're, you know, a liar. (gasps) Oh my God. Yes. They did not give them all the facts. They didn't. No. Jane stood firm in her recollection. She was like, nope, I saw them. They murdered him. Like, signs will deliver. At the end of her testifying, she actually leaned up, leaned on her arm and said to the accused, I have told the truth, so help me God. And you three know I've told the truth. That woman, she was on her deathbed and she was like... Go the fuck off. Right? Yeah. She she has nothing. She's dying. She has nothing to gain at this point. So I'm like, I believe you, Jane. That's true. I mean, I feel like she set aside all the the little zhuzhing at the end just to make sure that like, this is truth and I know what I saw kind of thing. 
and you guys know what the fuck happened. <laughs> yes, she, she, she wasn't pulling no punches at the end. Now, the business card that they found at the crime scene that was like propped up against Reverend Hall's foot, they had found a partial fingerprint on that business card and it belonged to Willie. But the defense said many people were at the crime scene and they took stuff. They took the crabapple tree branches for souvenirs. I so knew that would come back. That, that's I not reliable. I knew that would come back. Which any reputable defense is going to use that. So like, uh, I understand why they would say that. Now, another witness, Ralph, said he saw Willie around Duressi's Lane the night of the murders. The reason he didn't come forward before was because he was going there to have an affair. And he was an ex-lover of Eleanor. And so... He was told. I tell you, these people are so bored. They're just sleeping with each other. This is why right? STDs became rampant. Yeah. And <laughs> this is why y'all needed Seriously? TV. You're welcome. Yeah. You're, yeah welcome. you're welcome. Keep your dick in your pants. Damn. So he said he was also told by Henry, the cousin, to say nothing about what he saw that night. And he was scared. He knew that this family had money and that they could either bury him or ruin his life or all of the above. So he didn't come forward. He didn't say shit until years and years later. He finally, you know, now it's like, okay, maybe I should come forward because they did murder some people. So then a state trooper, Henry Dickman. Yes, that is his last name. Why do people pick their last names? I just don't know. Okay, moving on. Wait, he, say it again. Dickman. Uh, Dickman. Dickman. Mm -hmm. Mr. Dickman. <laughs> Dickman. When I was in high school, no, another rabbit trail, guys. When I was in high school, we had some of the awful, awful last names. We had a Bundick. Not kidding. Bundick. Stop. No. Breast. Literally, his last name was Breast. I have one. It's a hyphenated name. Uh -huh. It's called Long Craps. No, it's not. His last I'm name not is Long joking. Craps. It's... It's long dash C R A P P S long craps. Can you imagine, Miss Long Craps, to the front, please? <laughs> oh, can you imagine, like, if you became a doctor? Somebody's Dr. like Doctor Long. You'll Dr. be seeing Doctor Long Craps. <laughs> I'll be seeing Doctor Who now. You, you would have to be like a gastrointestinal doctor. Like you would have to. Like that. You has couldn't to be your pick specialty. any other specialty mm -hmm. besides GI surgery yep. or. You have to be a butt doctor. Yeah, that's, oh gosh. Okay, moving on before we get completely sidetracked. So Henry Dickman, he was a state trooper, right? So he said he was paid $2,500. So basically half a grand, like 500, was it 500? No, $50,000. Sorry, I just added another zero there. $50,000 in today's money uh, by Henry Carpenter, so the cousin, to leave the family out of the investigation. But... Again, he was seen as an unreliable witness because he had just been released from Alcatraz for desertion. So I don't know. I'm assuming that was desertion of like his family because it said nothing about him being in military. So I was going to say, a, to go to Alcatraz, I think that'd have to be a military type thing. Is that, is it with military with At Alcatraz? At that time. Yeah, maybe it was. Because was it, wasn't, didn't Alcatraz start as a military prison? And then it became? I'm pretty sure that it was military mostly. And then yeah. it got changed over to like anybody, like the worst of the worst. It doesn't matter if it's a military crime or like whatever. So it was either military or like leaving his family or kids or something. I'm assuming military. But so Paul Ham, he was the friend that had said that the reverend had been threatened by the brothers 
to stop the affair and all that. Okay, so he disappeared the evening before the trial began so he couldn't testify. Suspicious? Suspicious? We don't don't know where he went. We still to this day don't know where he went, what happened. Like he could be buried in a box and stuffed in the backyard. It was it was a God thing. It was like Elijah or Elisha. I forgot which one was uh, yeah. just swooped up to heaven. Yeah, God, right? That happened. So the brothers took the stand, Willie and Henry, and they were very good witnesses. They were well coached. They had a lot of money. And so people, you know, got them prepared for, for court. And so Henry Stevens' alibi also was confirmed. He had been fishing with friends the night of the murders. So Henry was apparently not there. He was just paying off people and helping cover it up for his family. Allegedly. The prosecutor was frustrated at how the defense was able to undercut literally every piece of evidence that was brought forward within the trial. And if I'm remembering correctly, the prosecutor tried to file for a mistrial because he said that the jury was compromised. I think he had assumed that like people on the on the jury were friends of, you know, the Reverend and Miss Hall and things. Or yeah, Miss Hall. So I think that's why he tried to say that it was a mistrial. And he also tried to say that the first prosecutor purposefully hid autopsy reports and evidence within the first jury trial. And I think he tried to say that because like, come on, she was missing her tongue. Like, how did you miss that? But at the same time, like, how would that, that doesn't really help your case either way because it doesn't point to a specific person. It just makes the crime look a little bit more... Passionate. Intense. Yeah, passionate, which I guess that could. I don't know. Either way, it didn't work. Uh, it did. He didn't get a mistrial. And on December 3rd, 1926, after one month of trial and 157 witnesses testified, they were all three, all three of them were found not guilty. Shut the front door. No, nope, not kidding. And the all, back and the all side. All three what? of them were found not guilty. And many, 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 many people have speculated and continue to speculate that they were guilty and they did. That at least they one of the brothers. Murder. Mm-hmm, it's speculated that, okay, the brothers committed the murder. They were the ones that actually like shot uh, yeah. the, the two. But conspiracy but, to commit would be. For all of them. But it's not sure if Frances herself was the one that cut Eleanor's throat and did all of that. But that is speculated. Yeah. Now, it is said that there are only five possibilities of the murders. So one, a random stranger killed them. But how did he have Eleanor's love letters to Edward? Mm -hmm. You know, the ones that were torn up. Like, how did he have them? Okay. But Jim... Uh, Eleanor's husband had the uh, letters that the reverend had wrote Eleanor. And he eventually actually sold them to a newspaper <laughs> and got some money. Nice. <laughs> Gotta get Which that I was coin. Like, hey, I don't, I don't blame you for that. So that was another thing. Oh, that was one thing. Like, how could somebody have randomly killed them, but then also had these love letters? It's not like he was carrying, like the reverend was carrying these love letters around everywhere. I don't, yeah, I don't consider that a possibility because of the letters. Yeah. Number two, um, Eleanor's husband followed and killed them in a jealous rage. But he had a solid alibi with multiple witnesses. So... That... Yeah. And he searched. Yeah, like searched six times. Minimum. So, I don't... I don't buy that one. I feel like even if he knew about the affair, because it seemed like he did, yeah. Oh, he did. He didn't seem like that bothered by... I, maybe he was fine with just having 
saying like, yeah, I have a wife and I have this simple life and I just come home and mm-hmm. do this. Because like, I just don't, I don't know the guy, didn't know the guy, but he doesn't seem. Yeah, I think he just enjoyed the simple life too much. And he was like going through a divorce and then trying to find another wife. We have kids. I think he was just like, uh, whatever. She needs to it's go. It's not worth it. Screw around, let point. her screw around. Yeah. Especially during that. Because maybe she was still nice to him. Maybe the marriage yeah. wasn't bad necessarily because maybe like their dynamic was still like they could tolerate each other and get along just fine over dinner and with their little let's go grocery shop together let's do this together I don't know yeah who knows maybe it was all fine it was just like Mm -hmm. the sex life was bad yeah easily I don't know but he had the solid alibi so I don't believe that one so number three Jane Gibson did it mistaking them as robbers so Jane Gibson goes out on her mule and she's like, you're a robber stealing my stuff and kills them. But yeah, she yeah. didn't own a 32 and she didn't have access to the love letters and she had no motive or gain from any of it. That's the thing. I was like, where's the motive? Because like, uh-huh. with, the, with the business card, with the positioning, the bodies, uh-huh. like mm-hmm. it just doesn't track. I Also too, I don't think being an attention hoarder, hoarder, whatever, same thing. <laughs> attention whore. Being that, I feel like if she was going to be a murderer, she would want people to know her name. Yeah. I don't think she would have stuck with the same story no. and just add little embellishments. I think her At entire not story. The, like, yeah, the base story of it stayed the same. It was just like yeah, itty bitty little details that was like, she just wanted to say more. Is yes. the thing. She didn't really exactly. care about the content. She wanted to say more to have more to say. Yeah. She just wanted the attention on her. Exactly. Number four, another jealous lover of one of theirs killed them. Yeah. But how did they have the letters? It's the letters how for me. How did they have the letters? It's the letters it for me. <laughs> it is. So number five, Miss Hall and her brothers killed them. One, hat over his face. Two, the letters from Eleanor are ripped up. Three. The tongue and the larynx were cut out. Four, the way that they were displayed, wanting their sin, quote unquote. Five, to be she fed. didn't search for them. Six, she said, Six, hey, they're murdered. We could keep, it's we could fine. Keep going. Just let him go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like literally, they were shot and killed. And then they were repositioned to be in that position to where it was like he was, her our head was on his arm. And then her hand was put on his thigh to make it look yeah. as like they were a couple. Like they wanted it to be known that they were together. Sluts. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. So I'm like, there's literally no, there's nobody else that it points to. They did it. Thousand percent. I'm not saying it's right, Francis. It was yeah. wrong. It, <laughs> it was. was so wrong. It was yeah. damn dirty. You could have afforded a divorce. You would have been fine. You could have put him away and had it be silent. You could have used your hush yeah. money in a different way. But girl... Mm-hmm. I mean, if you you get the job finished, I'll give you that. But yeah, good Lord. I, I swear, I, I think they did it. Yep. So that's the case. I think she did it right again. <laughs> okay. No, that, no, that's the case. You don't know that song by Taylor Swift, do you? No. I, no. Oh, you're getting no. it. No. I'm getting it. <laughs> oh, you're getting it. <laughs> oh. Well, that was a different. It's an unsolved one. We went way back. I was going to say, this, like, I hate the unsolved ones. They, like, Mm -hmm. don't scratch that itch for me that I need. I know. 
it, this one is like unsolved, but also is not unsolved. Like everybody knows, everybody knows know f- who did it. We know they for just, real. They just didn't get justice. They got to run free and live their life. I just wonder the rest of their lives. Did they remember that night? Did she relive oh, yeah. the like I'm blood sure. spilling? Did she keep the tongue? Ew. Did she keep the Ew. voice box? No. I mean, just to be like, hey, I won. Oh my God, they never found it. It was not at the scene. Or if it was either A, it wasn't. a sightseer took it, or B, Ugh. it was never found. and they Or it was found and they never put it in the... I need every reports. single person that ever took anything from the crime scene to come here right now. You should be ashamed of yourself. That is just... Ew. I'm hoping that they wouldn't touch any of it because I imagine, you said that maggots were present. I'm imagining the smell Mm -hmm. alone would be enough to kind of make them like back away. Or did they go to the the crime scene after the bodies were taken out? Perhaps. You could have, I don't know. It was a weird one. It was a weird one. But I, I decided to go way back for you guys this week. You know, I guess we did go way back to last week, but this one was a little less creepy. Just... I feel like we're just coasting through time. Should we do these in chronological order? (laughs) I know. No. That would be way too much work. Right. Well, that was the case for today. And we can't wait to see you guys back here next week. But until then, keep it fresh. I'm just kidding. I don't know where that came from. (laughs) Keep it funky fresh. No diggity, no doubt. What's wrong with this? Yo, bro, get dunked. Like, put that on a t-shirt. Yo, bro, get dunked. All right. Uh, There's your comic relief, guys. All right. Bye. Bye. Also, heathens, if you're enjoying the show so far, please remember to subscribe on whatever platform you listen to us on and leave us a review because your salvation depends on it. No, I'm just kidding. But seriously, leave us a review because we would absolutely love it. Deadly Faith is brought to you by Choircast Network. It's produced by Lacey Bean and Lola Robbins and audio engineered by Eric Howe. Thanks for listening.